Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Our show today, we have the PIO from the FBI, Brooke Brennan, and our brand new Arizona FBI special agent in charge, Davis. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Okay. I want to, you're, you're brand new to, as an FBI special agent in charge to Arizona, but you've been in Arizona for a while. Didn't you grow up here? I did. I grew up in Mesa. Uh, bounced on for a few cities in the Valley, but but spent most of my time in Mesa, Mesa Arizona. Very cool. So, Actually, you've just come home. Yeah, which is nice after about 18 years. So glad glad to be back. I'm wondering, how did you decide to join the FBI? I know you worked in law enforcement prior to. What what was your incentive? Yeah, my incentive and motivation, uh, I've got a lot of law enforcement in my family. My grandmother was a deputy sheriff back in the 60s in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, cool. And my uncle was a, a deputy sheriff, and he's a Vietnam vet, but deputy sheriff in DeKalb County, Georgia, um, now retired. And then my sister worked for one of those, I like to say, one of those other three-letter agencies. <laughs> and um, she really kind of motivated me to uh, to get into this this line of work. So did you, I know you were, you know, Scottsdale police officer. Did you apply with the FBI? Did they headhunt you? How did that happen? Yeah, so back to kind of that conversation with my, with my sister. She interned again with, with one of those other agencies. And I specifically remember asking her one day, uh, hey, is there an agency that does kind of what you do, but they stay in the in the country? And she said, yeah, you're going to want to work for the FBI. Well, I was 13 at the time when she said that to me. And ever since then, I, I wanted to be an FBI agent. So even then, through high school, I kind of researched what, what do you have to do to be an FBI agent. And it's funny because I remember taking, you know, accounting classes at, at Dobson High School um, because I wanted to be an FBI agent. But also I knew, you know, being uh, going the route of law enforcement, being a police officer, was also a pathway into the special agent position. So Ultimately, that's where uh, I put a lot of my focus, and uh, that's why most of my, my studies in college were kind of focused around government-related issues. So that's something that I think a lot of people, when you're planning your career, you really need to research who you're going to, who you want to work for and what their requirements are, and don't just jump into a cold feed. You want to prepare yourself, especially for the physical part. And you're absolutely right, and it's one of those things that um, you have to be focused on what you want to do in this line of work, and the pathway um, is, is there. If for anybody that's you know in their in their teen years or maybe in college or pre college that's uh, that's listening to this, you know, my advice would be get a degree. Do not get a degree in criminology. Uh, if you want to be a special agent in the FBI, we are going to teach you everything that you need to know. 
Um, we want folks with varied um, um, and diverse backgrounds. So that would be advice number one. Advice number two would be control the things that you can control. And the, the, the number one thing you can control is your physical fitness. And we lose a lot of folks in the hiring process. That's the number one way we lose folks is through physical fitness. And I always say that our physical fitness standards are not the same as the Navy SEALs. Um, they are difficult. You have to train for them, but they are attainable, very attainable if you put in the time and effort. It's, you know, running, uh, push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups, and that's, that's really about it. So, you know, that would be my advice to anybody listening that's interested in this career path and, and interested in starting to uh, research things. Yeah, absolutely. You want to you wanna prepare and not just sit on the sofa thinking about it, <laughs> like so many people do. Okay. Absolutely right. I know the FBI works really closely with a lot of different agencies, and I think it was because of the help of the FBI that that murderer in Idaho was actually caught. What kind of partnership do do they have with the different agencies? Yeah, ever, ever since ever since nine eleven, collaboration has been the focus of of the FBI. We realize um, that there was a huge gap between. Um, what was going on on the national security side of the house and what was going on on the, on the criminal investigative side of the house. And ever since then, we have really put a lot of effort in developing strong collaborative relationships with our state, local, and other federal agency partners. And the Idaho case is a perfect example of that. We have, over the years, built these trusting relationships so that, that our partners know we are truly there to support them even in incidents where there might not be a federal nexus at the onset. Um, we have developed policies that if these, these chiefs and sheriffs um, make a phone call and ask for our assistance, we are going to find a way to help them. And the Idaho case is, 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 a, is evident of that. Yeah. Um, that was a, a true partnership, a true collaborative effort between um, local, state, and, and federal partners. No, that was amazing. I was I was just so happy that they caught that guy. <laughs> it is like all across the country they followed him. It was great. And it, the perfect lesson of we're stronger together, and that that's that's the result of that. It's it's tough sometimes. We can't prevent these horrible things from happening, but we can ensure through our our partnerships and collaboration that that um, the bad guys are brought to justice. Absolutely. So you're you're coming back to Arizona. What are your uh, priorities with the FBI in Arizona? Um, First and foremost, to continue to strengthen those relationships, uh, as as I just mentioned, um, collaboration first. So we have strong relationships here. So so my job in that lane is is relatively easy. But the things that that the FBI are going to focus on here, um, here in this state, um, we have significant border issues. We have significant issues with our our partners in uh, in the Indian reservations. Um, we have skyrocketing violent crime that we're trying to address and, and drug trafficking with the, the fentanyl epidemic. And then we're also combating um, significant public corruption and civil rights matters. So that those are kind of some of the focuses that the FBI is, is uh, focused on here. Well, that'll keep you busy because I don't see anything stopping anytime soon. You know, I think yeah, there's no shortage of work. Yeah, exactly. Job security. 
I don't think a lot of people realize that the FBI, they think of this mystique with the FBI, they actually have a Citizens Academy, a youth program, an internship. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, and the, the focus of those is really to to partner with, with, with the public and really peel back that or pull back that curtain that has been the mystique of the FBI over the years to really let folks know what it's like uh, inside the FBI, kind of what we do and why we do it in an effort of, of transparency. So Citizens Academy um, is, is one of the main ways we do that. Um, we reach out to, to private sector leaders within the community and, and put them through a, a multi-month or multi-week uh, course that gives them kind of some perspective on, on some of the successes of the FBI. We talked about some of our tradecraft and techniques um, to really let them know the how and the why behind what we do in the hopes that they then go out into the community. And so when they see negative press about the FBI, they know um, that, you know, there's not always truth in reporting and there's always two sides to every story, but really it's a, a collaborative effort between um, us within the FBI and, and, our, and those who we serve. National Academy is another version of that, except for our state and local counterparts. We're trying to develop future leaders within law enforcement, and that's a way to do it. So we're reaching out to that, that those future executives within their respective agencies and put them through a 10-week leadership course back, back at Quantico. So it's, it's similar to kind of the physical side of what new agents go through, but then the rest is, is hyper-focused on leadership, team development, um, and project development. It's goal-oriented and, and topics such as that. So that's really the focus of that and, and to strengthen those relationships there. And then the last one I think you mentioned was, did you say Teen Academy? Teen Academy, yes. Yeah, so Teen Academy, it's an effort to do just, just like uh, where I started off the interview and in that we're trying to reach out to those teens that might be interested in this line of work, but we're also trying to develop them as future leaders, whether they're interested in law enforcement or not. Um, they have shown the initiative to want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And hopefully we could get them to motivate and lead their peers on their respective campuses. So that's kind of the focus of that. And then obviously we also give them a peek behind the curtain as to what we do here in the FBI. And it's really important. I think uh, people should take advantage of these programs because they're going to learn something. They're going to learn they love it or they don't love it so much, but they're going to learn something. And if you keep your kids busy, they too tired to get in trouble. That's what I always said. A hundred, a hundred percent. I, I was, I was definitely one of those young, young youth that idle hands. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find time for idle hands. So, this is one of those, one of those ways to do that. Absolutely. And I remember when I was little, I, I wanted to be a G man, and I still have my Dick Tracy badge. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about the bird's nest. We've got the Super Bowl coming. And I know the FBI and all the agencies are going to be doing everything they can to protect the bird's nest. So what's going on with that? Now, are you referring to the bird's nest at the Open, the Waste Management, uh, and that, that big event there? <laughs> yeah, the Super Bowl. <laughs> are you talking about the, just the Super Bowl in general? So the that, Super Bowl in general. That, that week is going to be uh, extremely busy for, for uh, first responders, uh, and law enforcement at, at any level. But we've been planning for this for the last year. 
So the, the reason why I asked about the waste management is our planning has to include the waste management. We're expecting over a million people at the waste management uh, open this year. And so that is that will culminate on the same day as the Super Bowl. And so two big events, you know, approximately 30 miles apart in, you know, within Maricopa County is going to be is going to be significant. But we we are well prepared. We have plenty of resources that we've brought in from all over the country. um, And we have rehearsed and practiced and, and put on a lot of training to support to support that effort. What is the waste management open? I'd never heard of it. <laughs> so the waste management open is a, is a very large golf tournament, a PGA-sponsored golf tournament that will be occurring in North Scottsdale the same week as a Super Bowl week. I think that that event kicks off with some concerts and the like on February 6th. Um, so we're expecting large, large crowds out there. And then it's a professional professional golf tournament throughout the week culminating on Super Bowl Sunday. So it's going to be it's going to be a busy busy week for for us in law enforcement and, and first responders that week. Yeah, it sounds like it. I had no idea. I worked the Super Bowl last time it was held up there and am scheduled to work this one too. It's a lot of training, it's a lot of running around. And I tell people you're going to get a whole week's worth of steps in in that one day. <laughs> because it's it's just huge and you know you've you're sent everywhere doing everything so your top priorities for arizona then is to to do the collaboration with all the different agencies and i think the super bowl kind of reflects that because all the agencies will be up there first responders do they have military personnel assigned there too i don't remember we do. Arizona National Guard has provided um, in, in, uh, provided resources, so we we are in lockstep with our with our Department of Defense uh, counterparts. So they'll be the ones driving the tanks. So you'll be able. <laughs> uh, if, there's, if, if there's actual tanks on the road, please call and let me know because uh, <laughs> I've not heard about the, the need for tanks yet. But uh, just in case, if you see one, please, please let me know. <laughs> so, okay, I want to talk a little bit about your FBI career prior to coming back to Arizona. I know you've been to several places. Can you explain to our listeners the exciting life an FBI agent lives? Yeah, and it's it's what I love most about being an FBI agent is every one of us has a different story of how we got to where we are. So um, like I mentioned earlier, or maybe we didn't mention, but I was a police officer in Scottsdale for approximately five years. Then I got hired by the FBI, um, and the FBI assigned me to the Los Angeles division, uh, but the Palm Springs resident agency. So I think somebody in the bureau had a, had a cruel joke. They took me out of one desert and, and put me into another desert. Um, <laughs> but that was a blessing in disguise because I learned so much uh, working violent crime, gangs, drugs, um, crimes against children matters in the, in the Coachella Valley, so eastern Riverside County, and pretty much the area that just borders uh, Arizona on the on the California side, so that was that was a blast. Learned a lot and worked with a lot of great people out there. At about three years in the FBI, you know, we uh, nationally are in the the height of these two two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the FBI is su- supporting the international terror threat and supporting our, our military counterparts. And we were embedding um, federal agents with some of our um, special forces teams. Um, combating international terrorism. So 
Um, I was a part of that, a part of that service and a part of that program. And that, that's when I went to Afghanistan and was embedded with the, the Army's 10th Group Special Forces, um, working international terrorism. So that was a, a, a fantastic experience. It was a surreal experience. Um, it was awesome to see how the military does what they do, how professional they are, how detailed they are in their planning. And that was my takeaway from that. And I think just within the FBI, especially in the special weapons and tactics community, we took a lot from what DOD was doing in planning missions and operations. Uh, we took a lot from how they do that, and we implemented that, that here back home domestically in our mission planning, our preparation, and our training. So that, that, was, that was an ex, uh, amazing experience um, in 2008. Uh, came back to Los Angeles, um, continued to work gangs and drugs for a few years, and then promoted to FBI headquarters. Um, and I worked in the Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate, um, primarily focused on um, bioweapons, chemical weapons, um, and coordinating uh, efforts with the Centers for Disease Control. So I uh, learned a lot there. That was something that I didn't have a lot of experience in, but um, it, was, it was great learning how the CDC does what they do, how, how they investigate uh, outbreaks, and how they hope to, you know, mitigate things. And this obviously has come, come to fruition, that experience over the last three years dealing with, with COVID, COVID. And, and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, after doing that, for approximately 18 months, I come back to Los Angeles and headquarters city, um, in which I had a whole variety of, variety of, of um, job assignments, um, working with our rapid deployment team, which is a, a cadre of special agents and professional staff employees, that train and prepare to deploy anywhere in the world. Um, I was a firearms instructor. I was on the SWAT team um, and also a, a WMD coordinator response, responding to local events in the Los Angeles metropolitan area. They I have- did that for approximately two years and then was able to promote to organized crime supervisor and managing the organized crime squad in Los Angeles is uh, it's a heavy lift. It's, it's Los Angeles's largest criminal investigative squad. Uh, it encompasses approximately 40 different violations, but most no- notably Russian and or Armenian organized crime, Asian organized crime, um, and, and any significant major theft. Uh, it's, it's just a broad, a broad program with international reach, and I had a blast doing that. Worked with a lot of great people on that squad, um, really had a lot of fun. And that allowed me to, to travel um, internationally. I uh, went to Australia, went to Madrid, Spain, and then ultimately I was the acting assistant legal attache in The Hague, Netherlands for about four months. So that was a great experience working with our, our Dutch counterparts, combating organized crime, and also working at Europol, where I worked with basically my peer federal agencies in Central and, and Western Europe. It was great. It was just a great, great experience. Uh, upon returning from that, continued to work organized crime and then promoted to assistant special agent in charge in Los Angeles in 2019. Uh, had that job for approximately two years. And then that took me to my most recent position um, in the International Operations Division as a section chief. And that job was amazing. Again, lots of international reach um, covering Central and South America and covering our five eye partners. So our legal attache offices in, in Ottawa, in the UK, in Canberra, Australia, 
and um, New Zealand as well. So it was it's pretty broad. I really got an opportunity to learn the business side of the FBI by doing that. Um, really got a peek behind the curtain, was able to brief the FBI director on, on, on several occasions. Um, definitely was able to brief and had several um, impactful conversations with the deputy director of the FBI, which these are, you know, high level, the highest level of executives in our organization. So it was, it was really a, a learning experience for me and, and helped prepare me for my current position, especially in charge here in Phoenix. Wow, you've got quite a career. I can't believe it. The um, they've they've moved me around a bit, but it's been a it's been a blast. I've I've enjoyed every minute of it. You're always learning. Does the FBI have? Um, I know you have to have a college degree to get into the FBI. Do they have a um, program that helps you with continuing ed if you want to get your master's? Do they pay for it? They do. There are programs for continuing education. Um, there's also programs if, so we like, uh, we, we hire lawyers and, and certified public accountants and there's programs to help maintain their, their licenses for that. Right. Um, and I believe those programs do extend to, we've had, we've had medical doctors become FBI agents and definitely nurses and EMTs. And there's programs to help maintain those licenses as well within, within the FBI. Uh, while you were in LA, does the FBI have any, um, Thing to do with like the Oscars, these big events that they hold, does the FBI get involved with security? Yes, we do. So that would fall under our um, the W and D crisis response lane because Los Angeles is such a large division. They have a pretty robust um, crisis response squad encompassing, uh, you know, like a dive team, a hazmat team, uh, the WMD coordinators. Um, crisis response uh, or crisis management coordinators. So it's a pretty significant and robust uh, program that they have in Los Angeles. And they are regionally focused. So some of those resources will be coming to the Super Bowl for that week to support Phoenix Division in that effort. Oh, hardship assignment, right? <laughs> Go oh, to the no, Super Bowl. Coming to, coming to Phoenix in February is not a bad assignment. Exactly. Okay, I want to, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about the border and about Indian country. So hang in there. We'll be right back. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You're not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarsi.org. That's S-A-R-C-I.org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. 
This is Nathan Chapin, producer for Law Matters. I have a goal to reach and I need your help. I want to put the DEA out of business. That's right, the Drug Enforcement Agency. If you have an addiction problem or know someone who does, please reach out to lawmatters1030.org and click the DEA tab for more information. Reaching out is the first step. We have the resources if you have the will. You can beat this demon and help me put the Drug Enforcement Agency out of business. Law Matters Live Show airs Saturday morning at 8. Next Saturday is our first responder and military appreciation show and blood drive. For details, go to the event page on our website. Law Matters is a 501c3 funded by your generous donations. Please visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org to join the mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Please stop running red lights. It's hazardous to your health. Thanks for staying with us. Our guests today are FBI Special Agent in Charge Davis and Public Information Officer Brooke Brennan. You're still there, aren't you, Brooke? Yes, I'm here. I just want SAC do his thing. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I think um, the Indian Reservation, this this area, it's it's also got a mystery to it. How does the FBI uh, handle this area because i think aren't you the only agency that can actually go on to reservations with authority yeah we're not we're not the only agency the bureau of indian affairs is also has has authority to do so and then each reservation has some some form of law enforcement that that has uh primacy for you know misdemeanor crimes and, and things like that but we do uh we are heavily involved in major crimes major violent crimes on the 22 indian reservations within the state of Arizona. So I, I will be honest, that is, um, uh, it was eye-opening to me when I got here and was receiving briefs on how significant and how much effort um, FBI Phoenix uh, puts into responding to crimes on the Indian Reservation. So we only respond to homicides, serious assaults, or crimes against children. So really significant matters uh, on on the reservation, and uh, it, it it's taken up a significant amount of resources, and I have about 32 agents working, 22 Indian reservations, and uh, they 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 vary in there depending on the hat that they wear, on the type of call out. So sometimes their evidence response hat is on, sometimes their homicide detective hat is on, and other times their empathy hat and victim services hat is is on so it's a wide range of responsibilities for for those 32 agents working working those matters what about the border that um you know what's going on with the border on the indian reservations we all hear in the news what's going on on you know el paso and yuma and what's going on on the reservations so the 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 biggest issue is is just the flood of fentanyl into the United States, and and this is you know you you, you see it everywhere. We, in conjunction with with the DEA, are pushing a, a, a large um, awareness campaign for for the dangers of fentanyl. Um, but that that is as much as it's affecting any other city. It's definitely affecting um, the Indian reservations with with drug usage and and overdose deaths. What can our listeners do to help um, law enforcement, all agencies, to help law enforcement with things like uh, sex trafficking and, you know, the drug situation? What can they do to 
be of service to the community? I mean, the biggest thing we can do is is the awareness. Um, it, it's, it's just making folks aware of how dangerous fentanyl is. This is truly probably the most dangerous drug that we have seen in, in our lifetimes. This is not something that that you can you can take and and maybe be okay. The risk factor of you having adverse effects, including death, is, is pretty significant. So we're trying to get the awareness out and get it to our school counselors, get it to our teachers, get it to our parents, and just keep really pushing that. We're going to do what we do best, which is investigate the bad guys and put the bad guys in, in jail and, and continue our, our large fentanyl seizures. We're going to continue doing that, but we need the, the community's help for the awareness side of it so that they can make reports if they see it. Um, and this is, goes along with kind of our messaging for the Super Bowl. But it's a good message for anybody any time of the year, and that is the See Something, Say Something campaign. So that's really what I would ask folks, anybody listening to this, is just let's lean into the awareness side of it and, and spread that through the community. Yeah, I think people don't realize the significant um, portion of this crime-solving industry they have because law enforcement can't be everywhere. We'd like them to be everywhere, but they can't. And if you see something, I'd rather you called in and said something and it was wrong than let something bad happen. And, you know, the bad guy gets away. We don't want that to happen. That's, that, that is true. And, you know, our responsibility here at the FBI as well as the DA, is to work significant cases. So we are charged with working large conspiracy, like large groups, transnational organized crime, international drug trafficking. And, and so what we do and the way we do it takes some time, but that's where our task forces come into effect, whereas um, our task forces are a little bit more surgical, going after one or two significant bad actors, um, we are building a case, and as well as the DEA and HSI, we are trying to build cases to take down networks of people. So what we do and how we do it takes a little bit longer, but that's where um, those relationships, as I mentioned earlier on in the interview, come into play. Yes, and and when you report something, don't expect you know the SWAT team to show up. They they take time. They want to make sure they're doing it right, and if they make an arrest, they want it to stick. They don't want it to just, you know, be thrown out of court because of some technicality. So be patient, but also be vigilant. And that's, that's absolutely my advice for them. Does the that's F- a great message. Yes, I agree with you. Does the FBI go into schools and, and talk to people, talk to the students? We, we do. And, and uh, I, I wish my assistant was on the phone right now because she would be shaking her head. I, I have several <laughs> engaged, speaking engagements coming up. Most uh, re, uh, uh, in the nearest future, I'll be speaking at Campo Verde um, to talk to their students just about the FBI, my career, how you get into it, and, and some of the similar issues that, that we're discussing on this, on this interview. But we do a lot of, of outreach um, in, that, in that regard. What about um, scams? I hear that lately I've heard that there's a lot of scams that they're uh, targeting elderly people. Is there anything that yeah, so we that, should be aware of? There is, and there's on, on FBI.gov, there's tons of, of um, uh, information about, about fraud and some of the latest, the latest scams. We see every year we see an uptick around the holidays in, in some of the fraud schemes, 
specifically targeting the elderly, but romance scams is a crime for uh, crime for profit in, in which we have significant resources dedicated to combating that. Um, it's so rampant. And so in the same lane as fentanyl in the fentanyl awareness program, we are pushing the fraud, the fraud program specifically targeting, targeting the elderly. Now I, I, just can't imagine i saw it on the news i can't remember this week week before where some lady was you know romantically involved with this computer person and i'm just like seriously you've never met this person and you're giving them how much money hundreds of thousands of dollars because they need it i right so that's the romance scam and that's probably one of the most common ones one of the more common ones we've seen and what's frustrating about the romance scams is sometimes the bad actors do not reside within um, the United States. That being said, we do have legal attaches all over the world, and 63 league ad offices all over the world sitting in U.S. embassies. And so back to my, my point about collaboration, we work with these host nations um, to, to indict and, and extradite the, the bad actors. So we have had success in that lane, cool. but it starts with making us aware. So we ask that if you've been a victim of that, please call the FBI and let, let us know so we can initiate an investigation. And it might be the, the, the group that you have been victimized by might already be under investigation, and this will help us develop more evidence um, to, to develop a crime and, and work with the U.S. Attorney's Office for an indictment. Let's talk about civil rights. Brooke just sent me an email and said, have them talk about civil rights. <laughs> okay. So talk to me about civil rights. So our, our civil rights, our civil rights cases, fortunately, are few, but they are significant. So the FBI takes civil rights extremely serious. Uh, we are the primary agency for investigating civil rights violations, um, and we coordinate with the U.S. Attorney's Office and then Maine Department of Justice for for bringing these uh, cases forward. So most of our civil rights cases are one-off um, cases one um, rogue law enforcement official doing something um, something horrible um, in which we might initiate an investigation. So uh, I'm confident in saying, you know, we, we are not or haven't been lately targeting large groups of people. We don't have, or at least I have not seen the Ku Klux Klan running through uh, the, state, the state of Arizona. But we have had some one-off investigations that are significant. Yeah, I didn't realize the... KKK was even around still until a few months back. We did a show about bias versus hate crime and, you know, what's the difference? And it was brought up then. I was like, oh, my God, I thought that was something left in a history book. I can't believe they're still around. So, yeah, I wish I wish they were something left in the history books, but they 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 are around. Um, They are around and and they um, (laughs) have popped up on the FBI's radar. That's that's pretty sick. So give me your version, the FBI's version, bias versus hate crime. When does your bias become a hate crime? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I wish I had my, uh, my experts on the phone. And so uh, a hate crime would have to be some, and, and these, these cases are extremely difficult to prove. The burden of proof is extremely high. Yeah. But for, for a hate crime, there has to be a proof of an ideology. So, um, you know, back to the reference towards the Ku Klux Klan, you know, burning a cross 
and using some of the the racial epithets that they would they would use um, in doing so to spread fear and intimidation would be clear uh, uh, um, evidence of, of of a hate crime. Um, we we see some of the anti-Semitic statements that have that have been out or anti-Asian uh, statements that have been been put out, yeah. and some of those do fit the fit the, the standard of of a hate crime. Biased crimes are even harder to prove, right? Those those are even harder to prove, and we're trying to push the bias into the the hate crime lane, which is what we would prefer to to bring something successfully through to a prosecution. Yeah, I, I think people um, have a hard time differentiating that. It, bias isn't just you know I'm a Bears fan and you're a, a Cardinal fan. Bias is is huge, and people have a tendency, even subconsciously, to be very biased towards different, you know, religions and, and members of society. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, try to be self-aware of what you're doing so that, you know, we can curb this. But And let me, and let me be clear, a lot of the reports, um, you, you bring up a good point, a lot of the reports that we get are, are more biased-based crimes, which there really is not a, a federal lever for that. Um, until it gets into the actual hate crime statute um, so that we can actually enforce a, a federal law. And those are very, very difficult to prove, which is why we have so few of those of those type of cases. But we, we do encourage folks to continue to report them to us, and we will have conversations with them about what lane it fits in at the moment as it's being reported to us. And I think that's another thing. When you report something to the IC3, it's a... a- form that you fill out and it goes straight to the FBI if there's a scam or you know something happened and you've been a victim don't feel like okay they're not going to do anything this is a small case because if they add it to all the other cases maybe that person's scamming other people they add it together and that makes a bigger case true and that is true and that's exactly the purpose of of IC3 and uh the, the point that I was I was trying to make earlier in that you just don't know because you're not going to have the visibility, um, the, the strategic level visibility in what we're trying to put these cases together. You might be a victim here in Arizona, but there might be six victims in Pennsylvania of the same network, of the same uh, usually international network when we're talking about these these uh, crimes for profit um, fraud schemes. And the FBI investigates mortgage fraud. And I remind people that I'm a loan officer. I remind people that all the time. Mortgage fraud is is huge. Mortgage fraud is significant. There's so many different avenues to to um, make money, and again, it's a it's a crime for profit, right? So in the, you you've you've heard the saying, "Follow the money." Yep, and that's never been truer than when we're investigating mortgage fraud. Absolutely, and I know people think FBI. They think you know special agent. There are all kinds of jobs in the FBI. Um, can you, and I know they're hiring, can you give us um, some ideas of what people could be doing to help the FBI or work for the FBI without being a special agent and running around doing push-ups? Yeah, let me, um, let me start by saying that, you know, there's approximately 40,000 employees within the FBI, and, and only 13,000 of them thereabouts are, are FBI agents. So our, our professional staff cadre, meaning job series outside of the special agent position, far out wide outweigh the number of special agents we actually have. So there's a, there's a myriad of things um, within, within the FBI 
um, besides being a special agent. So uh, I'll start with there's Intel analysts, which we, we are a member of the intelligence community. So our Intel analysts um, play a significant role in, in um, helping us do what we do best, which is investigate federal crime. Um, there's also um, computer scientists um, that, that help us um, in uh, digesting all the massive amounts of data that we're taking in. When we, when we investigate cyber crime, there's, there's just volumes of data that needs to be combed through, and our computer scientists help us, help us with that, and they also help our, our, international, our international partners. So there's um, um, our, our OSTs, which kind of manage our, our investigative squads, which is a professional staff position. There's evidence techs. We have mechanics. We have um, pilots that, that are, were agents and have retired and are now contract with, with the FBI as, as pilots. So there's tons of things to do within the FBI, um, almost any lane if you find something that suits your, suits your desire. I remember when, we, when I went through the academy, went to Quantico and saw their crime lab. I was so impressed. Does Arizona have a crime lab? FBI have a crime lab here? No, our primary crime lab is is at Quantico, and if anybody from the lab is listening to me, they're probably going to kick me in the shin for not mentioning <laughs> not mentioning that. But tons of scientists and uh, the the FBI, our lab at Quantico is is very significant. Uh, the things that they're able to do there is is just flat out amazing. So yes, our lab um, is is very significant. Lots of resources. They are on the cutting edge of of a lot of things supporting criminal investigations. And that's where they sent the evidence from the Idaho investigation to Quantico to be analyzed to solve solve that murder. And I, I was, yeah, that was a huge role in that. Now, when they send something, it's not through the mail. How do they? How do they get it there? Or is it through the mail? No, no, we will fly it there. So your your federal tax dollars are hard at work. And we will we will fly a plane out there, uh, pick up the the evidence, and we'll fly it directly to Quantico. Personal escort. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to hear your opinion on on some of these FBI TV shows. How how accurate um, are they? <laughs> they are extremely accurate. That is what my job is like on a day. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I I had, I was at a function last night, and I made a made a quip that. Um, I, I look like Shamar Moore, and I was going to have him do my job um, from from Criminal Minds. But you know, those those jobs we do have we do have agents and those in law enforcement that consult on those on those shows. So you know, I would I would say they are each episode is probably based in some incident that might have happened somewhere in the world. But then you know, the Hollywood factor takes over after that. So. You know the structure of the show, how the squads on these shows, or, or how they work together, are, are pretty realistic. How they go about putting the the bad guys in the bad place, um, maybe not so much. Not so much. Okay. Well, I always thought Barney Miller was closer to reality. <laughs> Barney Miller is—that's an awesome show. Yep. Yeah, I I'll love chime that. I'll in here real quick. I will say I did join the bureau because of Criminal Minds. But we do not solve crimes in one hour. So. Oh man, I wish we did. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I've never seen that show, Criminal Minds. I'm going to have to watch it now. 
you've endorsed it. Well, I want you to take a look, and yes, everybody in the bureau is that good looking as they are on criminal minds. <laughs> we all look like that. That's one of the prerequisites. Don't apply if, if you're is. not good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So the process of working with the FBI, you apply for the job. From the moment you apply, how long does it take for them to actually hire you? So it took me um, it took me about two years. Now, some of that was some of that was on on me. But the background portion is what takes the longest. Um, so um, from when I went through phase one to getting to Quantico was about. I say two years, about 18, 18 months. So, you know, our, our process is, is rather lengthy because there's multiple steps and we have just such a high volume of applicants um, to get through. So I, I think that was in 2003 to the end of 2004, but I think they are, they're probably up to about a year. I would think the entire process takes on average. And how long are you in Quantico? Uh, I think it's about a six-week academy now. It was about four weeks when I went through, 16 weeks. I think it's up to about 20 to 22 weeks now. And they have Hogan's Alley there. What, how, your experience in Hogan's Alley, we got to see it, but I didn't get to play. Somebody else was playing. So tell us about Hogan's Alley. Hogan's Alley, is it's, it's a pretty neat um, scenario. It's, 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 a, it's a mini city with a functioning subway restaurant in the middle of it um, in which you can eat lunch at. <laughs> but, you know, there's, uh, you know, several different scenarios in which agents are trained in how to um, use and employ arrest tactics. So there's uh, a bank and there's like a motel, like a Motel 6 type uh, building, and there's like a pharmacy and an apartment building um, and even like a small little um, housing structure or condominium um, structure. So we, we practice our arrest scenarios and arrest tactics, interview tactics, um, driving and um, felony car stop tactics in, in Hogan's, Hogan's Alley. So any agent that's been through those scenarios has probably not come out unscathed. Um, <laughs> I know myself, myself included, but uh, it's a great learning, um, learning environment, and, and you're there to really, to really get better and hone your skills as an FBI agent. I know that the FBI does um, active shooter training for the public, and because I went to one of them, do they still do them, or is this something that's to the wayside, or do they still have um, classes for people? No, I believe we are still doing them. I've not been part of one here in, in the Phoenix Division yet, but we are still doing them. And again, that is an awareness campaign. What to do in you know in in an active shooter scenario, and it's just kind of evident of the current environment we live in, and it's um it's sad, but it's better be prepared, and so that that's kind of our main effort there. When people have weapons, and you know, I want your professional opinion. People have weapons; the majority of people do. What's the best way to secure your weapon so your six year old isn't taking it to school and shooting his teacher? Yeah. Um, Unloaded, locked in a safe. Um, that that is the best way to secure to secure a weapon. Unloaded, locked, and in a safe. You know the the design of a of a handgun. You know it's designed to fit perfectly in your hand, and so without any training at all, uh, if you were going to pick up a handgun, you would pick it up in such a way that your finger naturally kind of just rests on on the trigger. Um, 
incidentally, you know, the trigger is the main way that the gun fires. So um, that's why a, lo- a loaded handgun not um, secured is, is, is dangerous to the untrained person that's trying to handle it. And so that's why I, I'd say the safest way is unloaded in, in, a, in a lock safe. And they make special safes for these that, you know, little kids can't get to. And you, you want to keep your kids safe. So, so if somebody wants to have you come to their event and talk or have a representative from the FBI come in and talk, what would they do? How would they go about getting somebody, especially for their kids or, you know, high school kids? So I would ask them to reach out to Brooke or Brooke's peer Kevin up here in the, in the Phoenix metro area. Um, and, and we would, we would arrange that, that event depending on my, if my schedule will allow. And if I can't do it, then one of my assistant special agent in charge would, would come out and, and, and give the same or similar speech. So we can give everybody Brooks uh, mobile number, <laughs> mobile number, home address, whatever you'd like. Brooke, <laughs> it, it's up to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to say no to that one. It's <laughs> hard. No. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Brooke. You're not playing. So, Brooke, what, what got you involved with the FBI? Why did you decide, hey, I want to go do this? Um, well, funny enough, the SAC mentioned earlier not to be a criminology major, but that's what I went into college as. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, ultimately ended up changing to journalism and figured that this was kind of the best of both worlds, journalism and criminology combined. So... I thought the FBI was the perfect route for me. And after the very lengthy background <laughs> portion, I was I secured the position. So it's been pretty awesome. I've been here for two and a half years. Yeah, they go, they check everybody. Your, your kindergarten teacher, your next door neighbors, they check everybody. And thank God they do because you don't want bad actors in the FBI, right? Yeah, that's that's correct, and we've um, you know no no organization's perfect. We have had them over the past you know in the history of our organization, but you you're correct. It is an extensive um, extensive background that never stops. It comes up every five years. They will talk to your neighbors, talk to your relatives um, to make sure that um, we don't have bad actors within the organization. Yeah, and they're far and few between. And just like any law enforcement or any company, you know, you're going to have doctors, lawyers, you're going to have, you know, that exception. But on the whole, I think Arizona is really, really lucky with the law enforcement people we have. They're incredible. They're dedicated and they're they're very selfless in their, their service to the community. And thank God we have them. I agree. And I would just like to foot stomp that, the, the relationship here is it's significant. Um, our, our partners, you know, I was I was um, a little anxious when I met all, all of our partners, thinking, hey, how strong are our relationships? Do I need to mend some bridges? Maybe we've had not the best experience over the over the years uh, go, going back. But I got to be honest, I have yet to find a damaged relationship uh, between our first responders and our state and local and, and federal peers here. It is, it is really significant how tight we are, um, and that, that makes my job really easy. Yeah, we are very, well, I say we like them. They're very cohesive, and, you know, when one represents, they're, they're all representing. And I, I just, 
really happy to see that because it wasn't always that way. I'm from Chicago, so I can tell you it wasn't oh, always exactly. that way. <laughs> I've, I've worked with Chicago PD, um, NATO G8 Summit in 2012. So um, Chicago PD is, is a long, proud, historic police department. Uh, they've, they've had their ups and downs over the years, but lots of great men and women there. But it is a different, it is a different working environment in, in the Chicago metropolitan area than, than we have here in, in Arizona. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's another thing. You, know, you have a set of rules, and those rules don't necessarily work in some areas, even in Arizona. You know, you go from one area to the next. What works here may not work there, and people have to adapt to that. And our agencies have done a really good job doing that. That That is correct. And, and one of my, just back to the, the Chicago for just a, a moment, one of my close friends is the new special agent in charge, in the Chicago division, Wes Wheeler, and uh, he will have his hands full working in that working in that environment. But uh, I, I remind him, I send him weather reports from here in Phoenix every <laughs> every day. So <laughs> maybe not from Flagstaff, but definitely from from the Phoenix metropolitan area. Yeah, been a lot of when, when I first came to Arizona, I, w- I was living. You, and you mentioned the other day. You mentioned the Tombstone vigilantes. Oh, you mentioned Tombstone. I used to be a Tombstone mm-hmm. vigilante. We did reenactments. Oh, wow. And the vigilantes are the only group down there that is a nonprofit, and all the monies they earn go to charity, local charities in that area. But yeah, we we did reenactments, historic reenactments, and that was my big escape from Chicago. (laughs) That is amazing, and yeah, I think what I was referencing when I was talking about Tombstone was that that was my first time down there, and to see the reenactment of the shootout at the OK Corral, what impressed me or what was amazing to me was how close they were in that shooting. Um, and to see, my, my, to see how close Doc Holliday was firing that double barrel shotgun, shotgun. Yeah. Virgil and, and Wyatt um, was, was just amazing. But yeah, the, the history from that, that town and that shootout um, and how that impacts law enforcement is, is amazing. The History Channel did a forensic analysis of that, and if you were going to really walk where they fell, you could get run over by a semi-truck because it was out on the highway. Was it really? Wow. Yes. yes. I've got a long story I could tell you about, but we're running out of time, and I want to thank you. <laughs> I want to thank Brooke for coming on the show and, and lifting the curtain, as you say, a little bit for our listeners, and thank you for coming back to Arizona. We look forward to working with you. Thank you so much, and I thank you for the opportunity. Please keep in touch. Okay, take care. Take care, Brooke. I will talk to you soon. Until next week, shop local, stay safe. live show airs Saturday morning at 8. Next Saturday is our first responder and military appreciation show and blood drive. For details, go to the event page on our website. Law Matters is a 501c3 funded by your generous donations. Please visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org to join the mission and keep the conversation going. 
Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Please stop running red lights. It's hazardous to your health. KVOI Cortero, AM 1030, the voice of Tucson. Trusted local news and talk. A Bustos media station.